Welcome to the Uncivilized Podcast. My name is Trevor Bohm and I will be your host. Every week or so, I try to get myself a fascinating human on the mic for you, someone who looks at the civilized world just like you do and says no thank you. Someone who wants to break some rules, to lead, and to bring their unique vision into the world. Someone for whom the status quo simply will not do. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I do. Please dive in. Hey folks, welcome back to the Uncivilized Podcast. This is Trey Verboom, your host. And today I have the first female firefighter in Canadian history. And this is a good friend of mine, Shelly Varela. Shelly and I met at TEDx Santa Barbara, where we were both giving our talks and instantly fell in love. And she's been a fast friend of mine and is just a wonderful, wonderful human being. And her story is wildly inspiring. You're going to get to it when you get to the episode, but just imagine being 21 years old, failing the firefighter physical fitness test, going home and rebuilding the entire course in your backyard. And then for the next three years, think about that. The next three years training that course, dedicating your entire life physical training, what you ate, eat, how to do the skills, studying, taking courses, all of that for the next three years, training to become a firefighter and then doing so. And at age 24, suddenly being thrust into the spotlight of an entire country. Think about this. Imagine putting yourself in that situation and then imagine putting yourself in that situation at age 24. Now, Shelly's going to go on to drop a lot of wisdom in this podcast. She tells about her story, about why you need to, to answer the call of your life, how you deal with resistance, how you deal with the voice that tells you you can't do it, how you borrow other people's confidence. Like She is just a rock star. And I, I've listened to this a couple times already. I've had my partner listen to it, and I know you're going to get so much out of this. This is just, she's just like inspiration in a bottle. So dive into this episode and please, please, please share this because this is the kind of stuff that I want to get out right now. This is the kind of message that I think is really important at a time when we're not pushing for success and we're not pushing for striving. We're pushing for like an overnight success culture. So really, really dive into this one. All right. Let me also give a shout out to our sponsors. You guys have heard me talk about Zen Squatch. You've probably seen me in the shirts. You see me doing burpees in their shirts. Uh, I love these guys. I had a great conversation with their founder, Brian, and I got the story of the, the company. And that was really important to me rather than just like, hey, we want to sponsor you. Cool. Send me money. It was, hey, tell me about you. Tell me about why this came about. Tell me what you were going through and what you want to do with it. And Brian really wants to bring both physical movement, nature, health to people. But in addition, he also wants to bring mindfulness. He wants to bring meditation. He wants to bring purpose. So a percentage of all of their sales go to bringing my, uh, meditation to the public and supporting public meditation halls. So please check out Z-E-N-S-Q-U-A-T-C-H.com and use the code uncivilized. You'll get 20% off and free shipping and support these guys. I really, really appreciate what they're doing. And I really, really appreciate them supporting me. 
as well as Cured Nutrition, C-U-R-E-D.com. You guys know my episode with Joe Sheehy is a, a wild one where he talks about some of his own mental health challenges. And I've shared with you that my partner, Katie, used to have terrible insomnia and uses their CBN product uh, and now sleeps through the night. And that's no bullshit. I wouldn't make that up. I don't make anything up. So go to curednutrition.com forward slash uncivilized and use the code uncivilized for a discount there as well. Okay. Buckle the fuck up and get ready for Shelly Varela. Go. Shelly Varela, welcome to the Uncivilized Podcast. It is such a pleasure. This is uh, one of the few times where we've done the, the role reversal. And now you're on the other side of the mic. Uh, so thank you for having me on, especially in the early days on your podcast. For people who don't know you, uh, I'm just going to give you this 15-second intro that Shelly and I met at TEDx Santa Barbara. Shelly crushed a talk, which she doesn't think she did, but you crushed a talk, absolutely smoked it. And it was about being a firefighter or about being a female firefighter. So would you mind sharing with my audience a little bit about the backstory of that talk? You got it. First of all, I love you. And I'm so grateful to be here. You're one of my favorite humans. And, um, and yeah, like, so my story is kind of one of uh, the, the consummate underdog, if you will. So as I was uh, a kid, I was undersized. I was super introverted, really quiet, shy, deep thinking kid. And, uh, and at school, school after school, we moved a number of times. I kept getting bullied and I'm talking like bullied with a capital B, like beaten, Mm -hmm. berated, belittled, that kind of bullied. And, uh, and I couldn't figure out like, why does everybody dislike me so much? Cause the only common factor that I could see was me. Mm. And so I developed this incredible imagination. And so I always say like, not all gifts come wrapped in a bow. Sometimes they come as getting your ass handed to you on the playground. Yeah. Uh, and for me, that's, that is what it looked like. But this imagination that I developed was the thing that not only helped me cope, it actually helped me survive. And so when I would picture myself somewhere else, I would viscerally feel like I was in that place. And so while at the moment I would have traded anything for that not to be my reality, um, it turned out to be at the end of the day, one of my biggest gifts, because when you fast forward through the end of high school and everybody's like, what am I going to do with my life? And everybody had their shit together. They're like, they knew the high schools, they are the universities they would tend, how many kids they'd have, all that kind of stuff. And the world at this point had labeled me an artist because I was a writer and I did special effects makeup and I was that kind of cat. And so the label of artist was, was who I thought I'd be. Mm-hmm. And so as it, I was, it was time to like, what am I going to do with my life? Um, I was looking in the lane of what are artisty jobs mm-hmm. and none of them felt congruent. All of them felt like, well, that doesn't feel secure enough. And this isn't, you know, doesn't make enough money to survive and all of those things. And so my life at this time is like a super hot mess. And I have this chance meeting with a friend of mine named Steve and our moms were good friends or whatever. And he's going through this devastating time mm. and he's fighting for custody of his beautiful little girl, Kristen. And he gets her every second weekend, but at the end of the weekend, he has to give her back and he would fall apart. Yeah. And so every second weekend I had nothing going on in my life. I'm like, I have no idea what I want to do. Right. So uh, I was just killing time and just really trying to distract myself because I was feeling super angsty. So I would show up at Steve's house and just really as a buddy was trying to keep him talking for as long as I could about anything I could. And the one thing that he could talk about forever was his job as a firefighter. Mm. And so, you know, I always tell my people like, listen to what is a yes in your body. 
because I didn't realize it at the time, but it was like, <gasps> like, it was like an absolute, an absolute hell yes for me. So I'm listening to these stories of like rescues and fires. And I'm like, that's what you get to do. Like, are you freaking kidding me right now? And, um, and I never would have known because I was living within the label of artists, like, yeah. um, that I had this natural mechanical aptitude. And so I just kept coming back like week after week. And then I would start coming on the, on the days when he was not giving Kristen back mm. and, uh, and his stories turned to lessons and, uh, and I just, I couldn't get enough. And at this point I loved respect and had so much, uh, reverence for this man. And I just was in awe of, you know, what he did and I couldn't get enough. And as his stories turned to lessons, what I realized is I was picking it up really quick, like super quick. And I remember the day that changed my life. We were driving in a car together and we pull up next to this tractor trailer and on the back of the tractor trailer, it has this like dangerous goods label. And I'm still inside this shy introverted kid. And, and I'm thinking to myself, I know what that means. But instead of having the confidence to say it, instead I asked him and he responded with the wrong answer. And so I corrected him and he looks me square in the eye and he's like, why don't you just apply? Mm. Apply, so to, 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 be apply a to the fire department. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so at the time I'm 108 pounds, I'm working in a manicure shop and this is 30 some years ago. So there are no girls in firefighting. And I, and I look at him, I'm like, dude, like I'm not big enough, brave enough, smart enough, strong enough. There's no girls in firefighting. I don't have any skills. I don't have any experience. You know, I don't have any of this. And keeping in mind, like this is the person who I regard more than anybody else in the world at this point. And he looks me square in the eye and he says, there's going to be a girl one day. Why would it be you? Wow. So how old were you at this time? It was 20. Okay. And you're fully in the archetype of I am an artist. Yeah. But what, him saying that to me shocked me to my core because it was so outside of the identity that the world had created for me and that I had bought into. Mm, that's a statement. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, but at the same time, the rub of the hope of who I could become. Yeah. Like landed on my soul. And here's the thing. I didn't believe him. Uh, I just knew that he would never lie to me. And I also knew that he knew. So I didn't need to, I didn't need to be confident, confident. And I didn't need to believe it because I believed him. Yeah. And what ended up happening as the story unfolds is I borrowed his confidence until I developed my own. Yeah. Which is much like what I see happened with you in your community. It's just like, you don't have to believe it, but you know, somebody else knows like they know, like they know it. Right. So yeah. you get to fall under the umbrella of just like people like us do things like this, just come in the door. Right. Right. I want to come back to this archetype in a minute. Uh, would, would you mind just sharing a little bit of what happened next uh, in your own physical story? And then I want to come back to how you transitioned out of that box. Yeah, for sure. So that day he says, you know, why wouldn't it be you? And I don't know if you've ever had one of those days where you're driving around for like the day and you end up somewhere and you're like, I literally don't remember how I got here, but you were driving. <laughs> so that was my entire day. But that night I'm lying in bed and it's just like, it's playing in my mind again and again and again. And it feels a certain kind of way. Yeah. Um, are we allowed to swear on your podcast? Are you fucking kidding me? This is like, the <laughs> <laughs> it felt like a fuck. Yes. I'm like, this is a fuck. Yes. But it was scary and it was edgy and it was jagged, but it was, 
it was like skited. It was like scared and excited at the same time. So I'm lying in my bed at the end of the day and I'm looking up. I remember like my white stippled ceiling. I was just staring at it. And I said three words that changed literally the rest of my life from that moment to this. And those mo- those words were, why not me? Like, why not me? Mm-hmm. And when I heard myself say it, literally, it was like something snapped. And in that moment, it was like, it doesn't matter what it costs me in blood, sweat, money, time, or tears. I don't need to believe I do it. He does. He knows the way. He's got all the answers. He knows what it takes to get there. He knows me intrinsically. And he's saying yes. So I'm just going to go ahead and say yes, too. Mm. So I went to the local testing center where they do the physical testing for firefighters. At this point, I'm about a 10 kilometer a day runner. And I'm like, well, it's going to be, it's going to be tough, but whatever. I'll, you know, hack my way through it. Um, (laughs) That is not what happened. (laughs) I got my ass full on handed to me, full on handed to me. But the thing that was devastating was I walked out of that physical test, um, leaving my dreams behind and the hope that, and that was the first time I felt a fuck yes. And I had Mm. to let it go because I realized there was no way. There was absolutely no way that that my 108 pound frame is going to be able to perform these tasks. There's no way. So I went home and I sobbed my face off and I had a pity party for two days. But then on the third day, I got like super pissed. Mm. And then I called the testing center back and I said, listen, I'm going to need the specs for the entire physical heights, weights, distance of all of the things that need to be pushed, pulled, lifted, all of it. And then I built it in my backyard. And I was right. That 108 pound frame was not going to be capable of doing those tasks. So what ended up needing to happen was I needed to change my 108 pound frame. Yeah. I took everything else on the table. I made that my number one focus and I failed at a physical and I bled and I sweat, uh, puked and I cried. And, Mm -hmm. and eventually I was able to do it. Not for time. Hold tight. I want to just, for people who may have missed this, you took the firefighting physical readiness course and built it in the backyard of your home and trained it. Correct. Okay. For how long? 1,162 days. <laughs> Motherfucker. So that's three For years. That's got that's to be three. It's like close to three. If, uh, like math isn't my gift, but three years. Yeah, three and a half. Three and a half years, you just trained to do this. Yeah. And all the while, I'm like taking rescue courses and learning first aid, CPR, building construction, uh, all the things, figuring out how how you drive a truck. All of those things are happening concurrently. And uh, probably about halfway through, I, I I could get through the physical again, not for time, not to pass it, but I could do the tasks. And what I realized is if I could do them, I just needed to do them quicker. Yeah. Okay. So I changed my eating regime and I was like, my, my main MO is I can't go out with my friends. I'm 20 years old and all my girlfriends are like, you know, let's go out tonight, beer and boys. I'm like, can't gotta, you know, I got to work another overtime shift so I can pay for this course or mm-hmm. I've got to get up and train in the morning. And that was my only focus. Okay. So uh, yeah, 1,162 days I toiled and sweat, but every single night I would lie in bed and I would practice feeling what the phone call felt like, mm. not just thinking about the phone call, but actually in my body, feeling what the phone call felt like. And on the 1,163rd day, my phone rang. Yeah. Welcoming me aboard as my city's first female firefighter. Whoa. Okay. Okay. And for everybody listening, the phone call felt exactly like I pictured it. What did it feel like? 
it felt like home. It felt like emancipation. Mm -hmm. It felt like um, the summit of a mountain. It felt like a cool breeze. It felt like um, the truth. It felt like your inner knowing. It felt like coming home. What did you do when you hung up the phone? I called Steve. Fuck, Shelly, I have so many questions. Were you on cloud nine? Were you, was it disbelief? Did you wake up in the morning and think you're going to get another phone call where they were like, hey, sorry, wrong Shelly Varela, <laughs> like we fucked up? Or were you like, this is meant to be and we're going all, all, all gears forward? All gas, no break. Okay. All Good. gas, no break. And the, and the reason was I had completely dedicated my life to this pursuit, yeah. to the to the detriment of putting everything else off the table. Yeah. So my resume was solid and, yeah. you know, and my, and my exam writing skills were solid. And I knew that I was going to be a great candidate because I wanted to be hot in the summer and cold in the winter and dirty. And I wanted to do the job. I didn't just want the title. Mm. I wanted to earn it. And mm. I knew that getting that phone call was the first step of me actually earning it. Yeah. Earning that, it that's a great way to put it that, like the real work probably started that day, mm -hmm. right? And I think- Well, especially yeah, when it's you and 500 dudes. So. Yeah, I would, we'll get to that in a sec. That um, would like a pregnant high jumper. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's come back if we can to what was it that you, and I'm gonna try, I may fuck up this question, so bear with me. What was it that you drew upon? And I'm asking this because I have so many listeners who are in transition or even more listeners who are afraid of the transition that they need to go through or are destined to go through anyway. So if you could walk us back to the, like leaving the test, you failed it. What were you drawing upon when you're like, you know what? Fuck this whole thing. I'm going to build it. I'm going to spend three years of my life. I don't give a shit if it kills me. Like, what did you draw upon to, to access that? Or what did you, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I will say uh, it was not my own confidence. It was not my own uh, belief off the start. I just knew that Steve wouldn't lie to me. Everybody needs that leader. And for your people, you are that leader. And everybody needs that person, that's Steve, to say, no, no, you got this. And, and it's kind of like, you know, somebody throws you the football and you're running down the field and then you get scared and you're like, oh, fuck. And you turn around and there's Steve or there's Trevor going, no, no, run first. Like, you got this. Keep fucking running. Um, I felt like I didn't need to know because I knew that he knew. And so I knew that no matter what, my success was inevitable. It didn't matter if it was going to take me 10 years, 20 years. I, it, quitting was not an option. Losing was not an option. And I didn't have to have it all figured out. Mm -hmm. And I would say the other part is being so viscerally attached to what the outcome feels like mm -hmm. that anything in between here and there was going to be whatever it was going to be. Part of it was a, a becoming. And part of it was an unbecoming. Mm -hmm. And it was like, who do I have to morph into? Because the statement that I made was 100% correct. At a 108 pound manicurist, I was not going to be able to perform those tasks. Mm -hmm. But we forget that we are not our labels. So if I was Shelly, the artist. Yeah. So I changed it from Shelly, who is an artist, meaning a label, to Shelly, who likes art. So if, if I can be Shelly who likes art, I can also be Shelly who likes firefighting or Shelly who likes skydiving or mm. Shelly who likes doing a TED talk or whatever that is. When we attach ourselves from our labels, it's like this, this emancipating unbecoming. And it's like, okay, well now what is possible? Yeah. 
So what I did was I built my body into something that wasn't a 108 pound manicurist and it sucked. Yeah. But here's the thing. The journey of the pain is, is just something you go through if your success is inevitable. Ooh, say that one more time, please. The journey of the pain that you have to go through is tolerable if your success is inevitable. Yeah. I, I love it. It's that's such an important statement to make. And I really appreciate you bringing up because my first question was, how do you outgrow the label? Because I think one of the big challenges that people have in transformation just prior to it is the yes, but like I'm an artist, but yes, but I'm an athlete. Yes, but I'm an attorney. Yes, but I'm a husband. Yes, but I'm a wife. Yes, but I'm whatever. So I can't do this because that would be counterintuitive to my label. What was it in you? If I can, I know I'm like digging for something here that you got to say, I like art. I'm not an artist. Like, how did you wrap your head around this idea, especially at 20, when most of us are just dumb? Like, how how did you know to do that? Yeah. Well, I would say that, um, you know, like, again, not all gifts come wrapped in a bow. And for me, uh, being that bullied child, like Mm -hmm. this imagination and just really kind of like, we live in such a structured box where it's like, you have to do this and you should do that. And it's like grain of sand, grain of sand, grain of sand. And it fucks you up up hard. Like for women, it looks a certain way for men. It looks a certain way too. Right. You get indoctrinated unconsciously. And I guess to answer your question, the first thing is realizing that that is not your doing like no baby wakes up and says, well, I'm going to be an attorney because my parents were attorney. It's like, no, what likes your soul on fucking fire? Go do that. I think the first thing is just being aware that you have been brainwashed the whole time. And really the way out of that is realizing that there, there, first of all, is another way. You don't have to know what it is. Mm-hmm. You don't have to fig- have it all figured out. It doesn't need to look pretty, pretty in transit, but you need to like, you need to tune into your body for like, there's so many people that are saying yes to shit. They should be saying no to and saying no to shit. They should be saying yes to. Mm-hmm. And we have tuned out our inner knowing to the point where we don't even know what we like. We just know what we should do. And we know what causes us less pain. And if I do X, Y, and Z, then I'll be accepted. And then I'll fit in. And it's like, maybe you're not meant to fit in. Maybe, maybe just like Steve said to me that day, like, what if there's a girl one day, there's going to be a girl one day. What if it was going to be you? Mm -hmm. And like for all of your listeners, what if the next big thing that you're about to create doesn't exist yet? Mm. What if you're the person to think about it outside the box? And what if you fuck up? And what if you learn something new? Because you can't steer a parked car. You have to get moving. Yeah. It's so important. Shelly. I remember early on, I don't know if I've shared this with story with you, um, my first year acupuncture teacher saying in the 70s when he was going through school, I think it was 70s or, or early 80s, that he, he told his peers, like, I'm actually doing this to try to cure HIV. And when it was a huge issue in the gay community, and this was in LA, and they were like, who the fuck do you think you are? And it was exactly your reply. He's like, if not me, who else is going to do this? Mm-hmm. And if enough of us adopted, I just got chills. If enough of us mm-hmm. d- adopted that mentality, we'd stop looking for like, gosh, I really hope someone solves climate crisis or peace or whatever it is, and actually step into that role of, what if it is me? What if, all right, fuck it. I'm going to try to find out. I think it's so important to re, especially now when 
there's a lot of negativity around pride. There's a lot of negativity around people having pride over their successes. I see it every day on social media of someone saying like, hey, I did this really great thing. And instead of them being celebrated, they're being torn down. Like, well, you only got to do that because of this. Or there's a lot of people who don't have your advantage or a lot of people who don't have your opportunity. I'm like, yeah, but look what they're doing with their opportunity. Mm-hmm. They're doing with their advantage. Look what they're doing with the privilege. Look what they're doing. Like, let's actually start celebrating this again. So I really appreciate you bringing that point up of why not me. Well, what I want to say to your listeners also is what if you are that fucking special? Like, like, what if you actually are that special? What if it is meant to be you? What if that, that sort of divine seed was planted in you? And yeah, it doesn't, it looks, it looks like, because everybody looks at somebody who is, has achieved something, or they always think that they're so different. And it's like the bridge of possibility, right? Between ordinary and extraordinary. And many of us look at those people who are doing that great thing. And they're like, oh, well, that's, it's inspiring, but that's not me. But if you hear that person's story, who's doing that great thing, or is making that big change or innovated something, when you hear their origin story or their backstory, you realize that they're actually pretty ordinary, that they poop in the morning, that they were scared, that they had no fucking clue what they were doing. But if you get, if you get to hear the true under the hood story, you realize not only is that inspiring that they did it and not, but you're like them, you are them actually. And that's what success looks like. I would just say like, Courage is just fear in motion. Amen. Yeah, I think it took me two and a half years of running this movement before I was like, I think I'm supposed to be doing this. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right? I yeah. joked with my partner, I think it was maybe three weeks ago. Uh, I think I think the movement's real and it's arrived. And we have thousands of guys all over the world following this. We have live groups, we have all oh, we have workshops. And it's like, yeah, I, I think I can almost say that. She just shook her head like, you fucking yeah. tell me. Uh, but I get it. It's how many of us didn't grow up thinking like I'm the chosen one. And it's it's almost not, there is no chosen one. You have to choose to be the one. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's the mindset shift. Can we transition real quick into what were some of, and this is a primarily male audience that I have, even mm-hmm. though we have a lot of women listening to this. What was it like for you to be a female firefighter in a male dominated, like completely male dominated world? It was a living dichotomy because, uh, yeah. So again, like I wanted the job for real and true reasons. And I knew that it was going to cost me more. It's kind of like if you're five foot eight and you want to be a basketball player, it's not that you can't, but the the freight that you're going to have to pay to be able to do that competing against guys that are six, seven is far different. It's just going to cost you more, uh, accept that and move along. And I knew that to be true for myself as well. So I knew that I was going to have to work harder for half as much. Uh, I knew that I was going to have to understand that um, when I walk into a room, people assume that I can't until I prove that I can, as opposed to, you know, one of my fellow recruits, they assume he can until he proves that he can't. And that's probably not going to happen. And, you know, there's varying degrees of firefighters. And I would say that I was definitely not at the bottom of the barrel. Let's just leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> um, so it was, um, you know, it was, it was a push and pull because I remember one day. Uh, and so this is a long time ago. This is like, I'm, I've been on 27 years at this point. And they were like the old school boys mm-hmm. and very sort of condescending. And, I, and, and this is what a hero looks like to me when everybody else has nothing and, and somebody has the courage to speak up. 
this is what a hero looks like to me. So I'm uh, six months on the job and I worked at a hall that had three trucks. So at shift change, there's um, three crews leaving and three crews coming in. So there's a bunch of guys. And I was standing in a room off the kitchen and uh, and I'm the topic of conversation and, and people had very strong opinions. And they're like, oh, you better make sure your wills are up to date, boys, because if shit hits the fan, she's not going to be. And I wonder who's she had to suck to get this job. And and I'm listening to this from the other room and I'm thinking like, I'm 24 at this point. I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all like, you know, 30, 40, 50 year old men. Do I pretend that I didn't hear it and not come in? Or do I walk, like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting there listening. And I'm frozen in my tracks and it's getting more elevated and more elevated. And I'm thinking like, I fucking earned my spot here. Like, I don't, there's nothing more I can do. And then um, it was like Lord of the Flies. Like it just started getting more elevated and more elevated and acidic and hateful. And then above the noise, I hear this one voice say, have any of you guys actually ever worked with her? Mm. And they're like, well, you know, no, but so-and-so. And and so I recognized the voice and it was one of the guys on my crew. And so in a room full of like 25 guys that were ravenous about how badly I sucked, he's like, the reason I'm asking is because I work with her every fucking day and literally everything you guys said is bullshit. Mm. and then you hear a hush fall over the room and I'm in the other room just going like I I don't know what to do right I'm just like I'm just gonna stay right here for a hot minute and then what you hear is the uh the backup beeper of everybody taking back their statements it's like well you know I'm not saying that it's just like everybody's an armchair sniffer and a spineless bully until they get called on it right right um and so to me that's what a hero looks like a hero looks like this isn't right. You know, it's not right. And, you know, going back to what you said before, like, it really is a matter of what is true for you. Mm -hmm. And it might not be the popular opinion. But that guy is, uh, you know, he changed my life that day, because he was one of the first shifts. And, And to be quite honest, one of the reasons I was able to continue for so long, because I did have those guys, I did have those brothers, I did have those heroes. Yeah. And it was at it was at a time that it wasn't completely politically correct. So that made it okay for guys to talk shit, but right. it also made it okay for the guys to go, no, you're full of shit, actually. Yeah. And so it really just was, you know, proving myself and just knowing and just staying true to the vision that this job, this calling is a fuck yes for me. Mm. And forgetting about whether or not it was fair that I had to pay more than other people. It wasn't fair. Right. And also it was still true and beautiful and worth it. Yeah. That's so, God, I wish that attitude, Shelly, was rampant because there is a challenge for everybody on every level, unless you are just the gifted elite top, like never had to work hard. You and know? then you're probably so out of touch. Your opinion means very little. Exactly. And you have your own challenges because it's like, it was too easy. You have yeah. no, no work ethic. Um, so I really appreciate you sharing that. That sounds like an unintended positive that came out of this. I told you this is going to be a juicy one, right? Imagine having like 500 reporters at your first day of your job as a 24 year old. All right. So think about that. Now, let me plug Zen Squatch one more time, you guys. I love these guys. Go Z-E-N-S-Q-U-A-T-C-H.com and use the code uncivilized for 20% off any of their apparel and free shipping. I love their shit. It's super comfortable. I love the clothing. I love the idea. 
I didn't really know that like the whole Sasquatch thing was a thing, but you guys, it's a thing. Like I now see Sasquatch stickers on cars all over Colorado. Please go support these guys. I love them. All right. Back to Shelly. Would you mind sharing a challenge that you didn't think you would have to navigate? Something that wouldn't be the standard, like, well, she's a fucking girl. So she blew somebody to get on the, on the, on the job. Like that to me was like, yeah, great. I can imagine you had to deal with that a thousand times. What was an unintended challenge or an unrecognized challenge that you had to deal with? Hmm. That's a really good question. I guess the unintended challenge was the calling of doing the job was always a fuck yes. But um, when you hear so many people having a similar opinion for so long, mm. the challenge is it's almost like you know, like Chinese water torture, a drip at a time, right? Grain of sand, grain of sand, grain of sand. Mm -hmm. and, it, and, and it echoed that bullied kid where it's like, well, everybody can't be wrong. Oh, wow. And it's like, well, she's, you know, she's, you know, whatever. She is not strong enough. She's not, she didn't do this right. She then is just really um, realizing that underneath everybody's opinion, which was strong, is like a hurt little somebody who the comments they're saying weren't actually about me. Right. I remember one guy saying to me, at one point, he said, you know, I really don't want my wife to know that a girl could do this job because for so long she thinks like I'm some sort of hero. And I just said, well, you, you still are, though. Wow, what an interesting sentence. Mm -hmm. So it was generally just kind of trying to trying to isolate what is my voice and what isn't and what is my truth and what isn't. Because it is possible for that to infiltrate who you believe you are and what you believe you're worth. And that's not specific to me in firefighting. That's a universal, yeah. that's a universal concept. Yeah. Shell, did this make you famous? Like, did this elevate you culturally or societally? I imagine there's articles in the paper and, you know, like Shelly Varela, first female firefighter. And this is in Canada, correct? This isn't in the U.S.? Yeah, I'm in Canada's sixth largest city. Okay. And how did you deal with that in, in relationship to being a bullied child who people, like, how did you deal with that contrast of the inner bullied little girl and now the famous woman? Well, it's interesting because uh, looking back now, I believe on a universal perspective, I was meant to be um, the first female firefighter and not, and it's not about firefighting. In fact, it has nothing to do with that, although I love it and it's my thing. I think that was meant to be part of my story because it is so outside of the box, especially in that time. Mm. Um, because what ended up happening, yeah, like I, um, I was about to graduate recruit school and I was pulled into the chief's office and he said, listen, uh, we just want to let you know that the news have been circling this place since you walked in the door and mm -hmm. we've protected you because it's your job to learn. But as you walk across that stage and get your cap and all that kind of stuff, we can't protect you anymore, but we're just letting you know that it is going to be a shark tank. And I'm wow. 24. Again, I am still that shy, introverted yeah. you know, kid. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> so I walked <laughs> it was like every print print press magazine news radio it was just like it was like walking into a mosh pit of media right and i remember thinking like i worked my ass off to get here 
but so did the guys that I'm standing beside. And I'm not more worthy of the attention than they are. So every time they would give me the spotlight, I would give them something that maybe would be valuable or, or, or helpful for somebody who is in my journey of wanting to accomplish a thing. And then I would put it right back to, and also the guys that I started with, because it's like, I didn't actually want the spotlight. And I was mortified because I did not want to be the center of attention. Sure. But what I realized though, was um, people kept asking me about my story. And so after that, like people, whenever they would hear about me in public or whatever, um, they'd ask me to tell my story and I would tell it again and again. And I was just, I felt so, it felt intrusive and it felt, mm. uh, you know, just, I was so private and I didn't mm. want, like, it was almost like none of your business. Like I did the thing, like you go live your life, please leave me alone until this day. Mm. A woman says to me, thank you so much for sharing your story because I see myself in your story. And I thought that there were things that I couldn't do, but now I'm going to go do them. And I was like, oh, my story has nothing to do with me. Mm. My story is a bridge of possibility for other people because people hear my story, but they feel theirs. And there is actually some neuroscience behind that. It, they're mirror neurons that are being activated. It's like, I feel your story. So you know, when I was telling my story about the struggle and that's what I was, you know, I was talking to you about like the, the juxtaposition between ordinary and extraordinary and in between that is a bridge of possibility. And when you look at these people that have accomplished things, but realize they are exactly like you, that is what was happening in the minds of my people. Right. And so, um, so I just started telling my story with a purpose, yeah. telling my story because it felt selfish and it felt, um, I don't know. I just, fe it felt like I was self-aggrandizing and it's like, well, wait, I'm not done talking about myself. And then I did this and then I did that. But when I realized that my story had nothing to do with me, yeah. that it was a vehicle of possibility for the people who were hearing it, it made it easier to tell. Yeah. And then, yeah. so I started telling it to anybody who would listen and slowly piece by piece, I started seeing people get unlocked again and again and again. And because you know, I, I am that vulnerable, raw, bullied kid. And, and like I said, at the top of the hour, that ended up, that pain ended up being my greatest rocket fuel mm -hmm. because there isn't anybody's pain that I can't relate to, or that can't relate to mine on a certain, certain level. And it becomes reciprocal. And we become in this marriage or agreement of what crafting your story is going to look like of what possibility is going to look like for you and you know just teaching them about the becoming and the unbecoming and what possibility looks like and that you don't have to fit inside the box and what if it is you mm -hmm. I always like to tell the story of there was this young man one day and he talked about how he wanted to climb Everest and everyone's like, bro, are you kidding? Like, you're going to have to, you know, dedicate your entire life. And you know how much, how much money it would cost you. And you know how many people have died on Everest? And he goes, nope, I know it like I know it like I know it. And they're like, okay, whatever. And, and he went on to do that. And he was blind. His name is Eric Weinmayer. So if you play back the tape on that, imagine what that must have sounded like for everybody listening to this crazy person who was saying, no, I got to climb Everest. It's my thing. I got to do it he had to do it differently. He had to reimagine what that looked like. Mm. He had to figure out problems that other climbers didn't have to. And he did it. And, and sometimes your dreams are not meant for other people to see. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. We've actually been in talks to get him on this podcast. Eric, so, yeah. yeah. I'm so glad you dropped that. 
it's, I hope people listening to this or you all listening to this, imagine being in her circumstance. Imagine if tomorrow morning when you went to work, there were 500 news trucks there wanting to know like, how did you, how did you do this? How did you become an accountant? How did you become an attorney? And you're like, well, I just did, did what I did. I went to school. I blah, blah, blah. I worked really hard, yada, yada. And then they just kept showing up and they just kept showing up. And I'm bringing this up, Shell, because I think there's a, a fear of if it is me, what is it going to cost me? Mm-hmm. Right. If it is me, how am I going to deal with people wanting to stop me and ask me questions in the street? We have, we crucify our heroes here in the West. We've done it since the beginning of time uh, on some level, or we celebrate our heroes' falls. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's kind of inside of people at this very deep level. And it contributes to the, well, it's not going to be me because I don't want to deal with all of this press or all of this pressure or all of this notoriety. What, what advice do you have to people who are, are, tr- are getting ready to hit home runs or mm-hmm. have the potential to hit home runs? I don't know if okay. I shared this with you. Yeah. Oh, I, sorry, go I would say the, the night before I launched Man Uncivilized, I was on the phone with a guy whose opinion I valued immensely. And I told him my whole story and my whole plan. And he didn't say a fucking word. And I was, I was like, oh man, this is a disaster. Like this is not going anywhere. My idea is shit. And then he kind of stuttered. I was like, do you have any idea of the impact this can have on the world? Mm-hmm. And I went, no, I don't. And I hung up and I got in bed and I pulled the covers over my head and I was like, not doing it, not doing it. Cause if it's going to have that much of an impact on the world, it's going to have that much of an impact on me. And mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm okay with that. And it took me like 18 hours of lying in bed going, nope, 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 before going, you know what, fuck it. Whatever comes of this, if I get burned at the stake or vaulted on high, I'm willing to take it all. So what advice do you have for people who don't even know they have that, but they have that, that fear? Yeah, I would say it is going to cost you something. Um, But it's like a math sheet. It's a balance sheet, right? It's it. At the end of the day, what are you giving up to not pursue your dream, your calling, your goal, your, you know, your soul's desire? It's going to cost you. Yes. So, yes, things likely will change to some degree. Mm -hmm. But what does it cost you to stay? Here's what it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your comfort zone. But what I'm going to suggest is your comfort zone is fucking choking you out anyway. Your comfort zone is requiring you to have the same conversation on repeat about, well, I should do this. And it's like everybody's living in the things they should do because it's really comfortable to to have your hope over there. And what I will say is it's costing you more to say no, because it's like I said, people are saying yes to shit they should be saying no to. They're saying no to shit they should be saying yes to. And when you are sitting in a stationary position and you're talking about the thing you want to do and you're talking about this great dream and it lights you up, but you never fucking chase it. Mm-hmm. It shows up looking like depression, procrastination, fear, overwhelm. I'm tired. I'm just going to have another drink. I'm going to do it tomorrow. So you don't ever have to give up that hope. You can still have the hope, but you're never chasing it, but you're dying a slow death inside your own fucking soul. Thank you for bitch slapping my audience. (laughs) There is a cost to killing your soul. And here's the thing. It's kind of like when I was losing my dad, 
I remember um, my best friend, she worked in palliative care and she walked me through that. And she said, there's going to be a gift in that. And I said, go fuck yourself, actually. Mm. Um, and I was watching my dad die slowly. And her dad died uh, in his sleep. He had the Cadillac of deaths. He, he went to bed in his comfy bed and woke, and woke up dead. And, and I just said that to her. I said, you didn't ever have to watch him deteriorate and lose his faculties. And it was killing me as much as it was killing my dad. And she said this to me. She said, there is a certain amount of debt to pay in grief. She said, you're paying yours incrementally. You're, you're making mortgage payments on your debt, on your grief, rather. She goes, I was given all of my grief up front. Mm-hmm. And then I had to make one lump payment and I had to pay it out. You, by the time your dad passed, you had paid a lot of your grief off. Mm-hmm. My grief happened like a bitch slap in the face. Yeah. And so what I will say is there is the same amount of pain you will pay. And it seems like the pain of not taking action is more tolerable because you're paying it incrementally, just like I did. It's like grain of sand, grain of sand. It's like, well, I'm going to just have one more beer. I'm just going to do it tomorrow, but I'm going to talk about it. Like I'm the cock of the walk Mm -hmm. and I, and I'm not going to do it because what if I try and what if I fail and what if I embarrass myself? Yeah. Well, what if you're lying on your deathbed, drawing your last breath going, why the fuck? Like all of those people who I was trying to please or all of the things I should do because I wanted to be accepted and fit into a box. They're not with you then. Mm. And they're actually not with you now either. Mm-hmm. Right. But your, your regret is. Yeah. I love telling people when they ask like, why did you fight in a cage? I was like, cause now I don't have to wonder what it's like. And mm-hmm. I never have to live the rest of my life going, God, I wish I'd done that. And did it cost me? Yeah, I have a broken neck and a torn ACL and God knows how much brain damage, but I know what the fuck it's like and I don't have to wonder. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope people take that from, from everything you said. Shelly, what are you doing with all of this now, if I can ask? I know you're still active in the fire department, but, but what are you? how are you taking this experience and lovingly ramming it down people's throats? Yes. Uh, well, I'm, calling, I'm calling people on their bullshit and I'm loving harder than, than anybody's loved them in many, in many regards, mm-hmm. because, um, it's my job to, to be somebody else's Steve. It's my job to see people's possibilities. So my movement is essentially kind of the female movement of yours and it's called yes university. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we talk about believe belong become. And so what I teach my ladies to do is hack possibility to like be a baller, to be unapologetic, to, um, to reimagine, like, is this actually true for me? And what we're seeing is like, is people not only stepping out of the box, but crushing and burning the box. We're Mm -hmm. seeing people going back to school because, you know, to your point, that's something they always wanted to experience. You know, like there are people out there that are sitting on the cure to cancer who right now are sitting in potentially maybe like a high school going, well, nobody in my, in my family ever went to college. Right. I'm helping people reimagine what that actually looks like and, and figuring out what do I have to become? Um, because nothing is, is permanent. Right. Nothing is a label of who you are. It's like, who do you want to be? Who do you want to become? And how do you unbecome in the process? Mm. And it's, it's kind of like Seth Godin says, So my movement is not dissimilar to yours in this way. Seth Godin says, people like us do things like this. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm creating is a people like us. 
Mm. and shoring people up. And it's like when, when people are playing small and when people are afraid, because again, you know, courage is just fear in motion. People will look at somebody else who's accomplished something and say, oh, well, you know, they, you know, they must not have been afraid. Um, people will say that about my TED talk. And I'm sure you've heard this as well. Like what people don't know is I was puking before I spoke. Like it wasn't pretty, like, but that's what, that's what, uh, you know, if, if we're going to be real and raw and honest, I'm not cool. I'm the least cool person, you know, there's literally fucking nothing special about me. And that's my superpower. It's like, <laughs> I do what I'm doing most of the time. I usually knit my parachute in free fall. Right. But the thing is, I've done it enough times that I know what free fall feels like. And I know that I don't have to figure it all out. And so I want to be other people's Steve. And I want to, I want to hold a, up a mirror and say, like, why not you? Mm-hmm. Why fucking not you? Because if it's going to be not you, it's going to be someone else. And here's the thing. They're not going to potentially do as good a job as you are. It's meant to be you. Yeah. You are that great. You are that courageous. And so there is beauty in having an army of people who... Like I said, when you're running that football down the field and you, and you go farther than you've ever gone before and you're like, oh, fuck, and you get scared because you're going to, you turn around and there is an army of people going, fucking keep running. Like, we got you. Go. Because people like us do things like this. And so I want to name the, what are the things like this that we're doing. And I want to create a community of people who feel like they belong enough. So they include themselves in the people like us portion. Mm. So is this just women that you're working with or are you working with men as well? It's just women. So, yeah. Yeah. Just because I feel like my perspective is really unique. Like I feel like I am a hybrid woman Mm. because I've been raised by a pack of wolves by the boys. Right. And I say that because they are my heroes. They're my brothers. And also I noticed the dichotomy in the way they be naturally. Mm-hmm. And I noticed the way that women be, because when I step outside of those fire hall doors, you know, I, I'm, I feel like I'm, well, I always am a woman, but I feel like I, the societally I fit in in a different way. But when I walk into that fire hall, it's like, I'm one of the boys. Yeah. And so it's almost like I have this weird, like dichotomy. It's like the key to the kingdom. It's like, here's where you're playing small. Here's where you're not calling yourself on your own bullshit. Mm-hmm. And so what we've created is a safe space for women to step, women to step into their ballerism mm. and, yeah, and yeah. also be unapologetic in the yeah. same way, because it's almost like the pain, the pain is palpable in, on both sides of the fence, right. but the solution to the pain is not the same potentially. Yeah. So you have like a backstage pass, right? So yeah. you're taking what you learned from the hyper-masculine world, bringing it into the feminine world. If I can ask, I'm going to ask, because this is a very male dominated podcast and you also have a unique insight into the male world. We have a lot of first responders and law enforcement and firemen and fire people listening to this what is the change that that community needs to adopt? Because it feels like on the suicide level, on depression level, on an alcoholism level, mental health level, those guys are struggling. Mm-hmm. What would you say from a female perspective, how do we start to turn the tide of mental health awareness and action in those communities? I know this is off topic, but if I would love. Yeah, your- for sure. Um, I would say this. Um, 
you shouldn't be okay with some of the shit that you see. Mm. Uh, and, and I would be more concerned about somebody who is okay. If they see the stuff that we see and claim to be okay. Um, what I will say is, I think, uh, I think the key to healing is to say, uh, I'm not okay. And have that be okay. And have that be an acceptable comment, not a, not a sign of weakness. Um, I'm a captain now. So, you know, the first thing I always say to, to my guys is um, this is a safe space for you to be completely uncool. And I always lead with vulnerability. So example, we had a horrific call um, not that long ago and we were the first on scene, which means we were the first in. So last out. So we were there, uh, you know, we had the scene in our care until the coroner and the police and all those people came and left and did their thing. And we had to stay on scene and, um, and, and my guys shouldn't have been okay with some of the stuff we saw. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what I usually do is I lead first with vulnerability. I don't ask guys if they're okay, because here's what I notice: when you ask somebody if they're okay, you're, it's kind of like a leading question. It's it's kind of like it's kind of like saying you're okay, right? Yeah. Um, so Great that's point. so that's not it. So <laughs> yeah. what I do instead is I I lead with vulnerability, so it becomes mine. So then they're just echoing. It's kind of like Robert Cialdini wrote this book called Influence, and in his book called Influence, obviously he talks about the factors of influence. But one of them that I love is the the law of reciprocity, and it's the idea that if you give something to somebody else first, they are wired as a human being to want to give something back to you. Mm -hmm. So what I give them first is my vulnerability mm -hmm. and what they are wired to give me back is theirs. Wow. So I said to them, you know, I just echoed, I'm like, Hey, that was really rough. Like, and I, and I called out some of the things that I know they're going to go to sleep seeing in their mind. Mm -hmm. I saw this, or did you notice that? And I know they did. Mm -hmm. And so that opened the door for them to go, well, yeah. And also, Oh, wow. We had, um, they're we, so lucky to have you. I just want to say that before you continue. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. I just think like it's, we're allowed to feel our feelings. We're allowed to feel pain. We're allowed to hurt. Mm -hmm. It hurts. It fucking hurts. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to cry. Like, yeah, you can't lose your shit at a call, but if you're drinking yourself to sleep at night, that's not the answer. Yeah. And it's like, and it's like, again, grain of sand, grain of sand those emotions don't go away. They get stuffed and then they come out in another way. They come out in rage. They come out in self-harm. They come out in hatred. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so it's okay to not be okay. But, but what I would say that is a cultural shift is that everybody gets to belong, mm. that everybody should have a safe place and that it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. And the best things that the leaders in the fire service, well, say the fire service, but any first responders can do is to share vulnerably first. It's like you give people the gift of going second. Ooh, thank you for that. Shelly, where do people get more of you? Where do women who want to join your movement sign up? Where are you hanging out these days? Uh, how do people get more Shelly Varela? Um, they can find me anywhere on social media at Shelly Varela. Um, which is my mom's, uh, to my mom's detriment. She spelled my name odd. So it's S-H-E-L-L-I. V is Victor, A-R-E-L-A. But the easiest place to find me is at yesuniversity.com. Beautiful. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for being in my life. And thank you so much just for this. There's, uh, if you notice, I'm, tr I'm trying to like take little notes 
for, for the guys so they can cut audiograms. And I have like 25 different times of like, fuck, get this one, get this one. So thank you for dropping these gems, but more importantly, just thank you for being who you are in the world. I love you. appreciate you. Look Buddy, forward to having thank, this again too. Thank you for always being my brother. Cheers. Always. This is Traver Bohm signing off on another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please give us a share. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. And if you're interested in getting a hold of my book, Man Uncivilized, whether you're a man or a woman, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the book and get reading.